Hello and welcome to Happy Place with me, Fern Cotton. This is the show that encourages vocalising your struggles so we all feel less alone. Today, I'm hanging out with Adam Lambert. A lot of times we mistake you know, how we're feeling or our symptoms, and we just make it circumstantial, like, oh, I'm just stressed because of this. But if you start really looking at a pattern, if it's something that happens to you a lot, maybe you're somebody that has anxiety to deal with, and maybe you should consider getting some extra help with that. I had my fair share of different anxiety triggers over the years, but I didn't know to call it that. I didn't realize that that's what it was I was dealing with. I thought I was just busy or stressed. And the more I started reading about things and doing some therapy and talking to people, I was like, oh, wow, no, I have anxiety. Adam is a Grammy-nominated pop icon. We first saw him on our screens on American Idol in 2009. And since 2011, he's been the frontman of Queen. I think it's very fair to say that his career has absolutely skyrocketed. But his mental health and confidence in himself has fluctuated, like it does for all of us. So now he's filmed Britain Get Singing, a Christmas campaign to raise money for ITV's mental health charity, Britain Get Talking. I feel incredibly lucky to have nabbed some time with Adam while he was in the UK. We met at a very cool office space in King's Cross in London, and he talked really for the first time publicly about some of the challenges he's had with his mental health over the years. And I was so grateful that he was willing to open up because I really do think that what he says in this conversation will resonate with so many people. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Okay, here it is. This is the show. Hi, Adam. Hi. How you doing? I'm good. It's that mad run-up to Christmas where everything is bananas. Yes. How's that going for you? Good for me. Yeah? I'm, you know, I'm a little jet-lagged from coming over here from the States. I always get, like, it takes me a long time to adjust. Jet-lag's horrible. It's, it is horrible. But I, I, I feel really good. I'm I'm in the process of, a, like, releasing a new project and doing performances over here. So it feels very productive. It feels creative. And you're back to the States for Christmas? Yes. Yeah. What's a Lambert Christmas like then? Um, Lambert Christmas, I think I will be celebrating at home at my house. I think I'll go visit my family in Southern... Like I have my mom in Orange County with her husband and then my dad with his wife in San Diego. So I'll probably do a little like trail down and say hello and hand out some presents. And, I love that. Yeah. I got my first tattoo in Orange County. Really? Where? Yeah. In this random like Tattoo Shack is the only way I can describe it. <laughs> sounds, By a man called Jesse. I remember it so well. I was about yeah. 17. It was completely illegal. <laughs> and I'd gone out there because I've got a lot of cousins who grew up, well, they're from Orange County. Yeah. So I, at 17, this is going off on a tangent. It's got nothing to do with you at all. I'm so sorry about this. <laughs> but I went there to see my family and I said to my cousin, I'm getting my first tattoo. Let's just do it. 
So this guy, Jesse, tattoo is really shit. What I'll is it? show you in a minute. It's kind of on my ass, but I'll sh- <laughs> I will show you in a minute. What is it up? It's kind of like a fern leaf, but badly drawn, because I did it there and then. Got it. With a pen, and he just verbatim copied it. Okay. And did he do I freehand, went, or did he do a transfer? He did a transfer, but he might as well have done freehand, because <laughs> it's so bad. And then I got back, and my auntie went mental, because she was like... Your mum is going to kill me. You've come out to stay with your American family and I'm sending you back. With a tattoo with a on your tattoo ass. Tattoo on your ass. <laughs> and that was my memory of Orange County. <laughs> I've been back since and it's gorgeous. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it, Orange County's big. So it depends yeah. on where too. Like, you know, there's so it many different areas of it. It was on quaint high street where you've got the seas nearby. I can't think of the name of any of this. Was it on the, on the coast? Yeah, yeah. On the coast. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many little towns. Like my mom's in Newport and my okay. brother, my brother and his, his wife and his kids as well. So my cousins were in Laguna. Yeah, that's, oh, that's so pretty there. So Laguna pretty. Beach is so pretty. Oh my yeah. God. I couldn't believe it. I'd never been to the States, so I literally flew in. That's a good first impression. The best. Yeah. And I just felt like I was in a film yeah. the whole time. Yeah. The was, OC, that TV show. I was show. in the OC. Yeah, the OC, yeah. Oh, it's just <laughs> remarkable. Oh, so that's going to be gorgeous. Yeah, that'll be nice. Oh, yeah. so lovely. And obviously it's been incredibly, well, it's always busy for you just trying to keep up with what you're doing, which... Me and my whole family do because we're massive fans of Aww, yours. Oh, thank you. My son today was like, please, can you bunk me off school? Can I come? <laughs> so sorry you can't. So He's sweet. deeply jealous. Aww. But you've been so busy and you've got this ITV show that's out at Christmas yep. called Britain Get Singing. Yes. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, I, I, first of all, it was so fun to film. Um, basically, Britain Get Talking, the campaign about mental health, they put this show on. They have teams from various shows on ITV that form choirs for the night and they do a musical number together. Wow. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, holiday themed and some of it's quite silly and, and a laugh. Some of it's a little more, you know, dramatic and emotional. Um, it runs the, runs the range. I mean, we have Love Island doing a song together. Are they good? I was entertained. Great. Yeah. I mean, it was, we can we understand were, the we were giggling. text yeah. of that yes. code. Yes. <laughs> That's so fun. It was fun. It was really fun. And I was on a panel with Alicia Dixon and Will I Am and Jason Manford, who I work with on Starstruck. So that was really nice. So good. Yeah. yeah. And obviously there's a, a beautiful charitable element of this as well, raising yeah. awareness and money for ITV's yeah. mental health charity, which I know has been an extra motivation for you personally this time around. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's something that... That I've definitely experienced. I love the campaign. I love the idea of breaking the taboo of staying silent because I think a lot of people just don't want to burden anybody with their things or they feel like, especially, this is a side note, but especially men are very afraid to talk about what's going on with them. So I, I love that this campaign is sort of out there to, to, to encourage people to connect, to talk, to break the stigma and the taboo of, of what mental health is. Yeah, you know? it's just... It's still um, mind-boggling how far we've got to go with that one. And, I mean, I'm constantly banging on about all sorts of things and exploring different subject matters. And I think there's so many people out there starting conversations, getting involved in them. But there is still still sort of shame and stigma and embarrassment and all manner of things that lie beneath you being able to sort of talk about things openly. And we just need to keep chipping away at that constantly. Yeah. How would you say your mental health is today? Good today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Got to be in the day. Doing good today. <laughs> Ask me in a couple hours, you know, <laughs> post lunch, you know. But, 
It's good. You know, I, I've, I've started recently kind of being more vocal and, and open about my own personal experiences. I mean, I think after the pandemic, I think a lot of people had some extra weight that they were carrying. You know, I think that caused an extra amount of anxiety across the board for most people, whether you're somebody that suffers from anxiety all the time or not. Um, obviously the economy right now is stressful for people. These stresses are definitely triggers for anxiety, um, and depression. And I think, especially given the state of the world, I think it's more important than ever to start talking about this stuff. I think the other thing too, is a lot of times we mistake, you know, how we're feeling or our symptoms and we just make it circumstantial. Like, Oh, I'm just stressed because of this or I'm just, but if you start really looking at a pattern, if it's something that happens to you a lot, Maybe you're somebody that has anxiety to deal with, and maybe you should consider getting some extra help with that. Um, I know for me personally, I think I had my fair share of different anxiety triggers over the years, but I didn't know to call it that. I didn't realize that that's what it was I was dealing with. I thought I was just busy or stressed, you know, and, and the more I started reading about things and doing some therapy and talking to people, I was like, oh, wow, no. I have anxiety. That's so. What when this did is. that start? At what age do you think did you recognize there was a, a, a sort of a feeling of discomfort in that area? I mean, looking back now, I think I've always sort of had an intensity. You know, you know, you get inside your head. You can be your own worst critic, and there's that inner voice that's kind of beating you up. Um, I think you know, being a, a gay man, uh, the gay community is very familiar with dealing with a lot of things sort of under the surface for many years. You know, when you're a, a child and you're a teenager and you're developing and you're starting to go, okay, I think that this is who I am or what I am. Uh, For a lot of queer people, especially in my generation, it was something you didn't talk about for a while. So, so keeping that all inside really, that's a lot of work. It's a lot of stress. And I think in some ways, I mean, I know a lot of queer people where that can be quite damaging. Um, Some of us, it's just more of a late bloomer thing, which is, you know, the, the, the least, you know, the least extreme version of it. And no matter which end of the extreme you're on, it's kind of like you have to take that into account into your adult life. You have to face it and sort of make sure you're, you're acknowledging that you went through that. And it's a sort of type of trauma, you know, Yeah. even if it's a soft trauma or sort of an indirect trauma, it is, it's, it's not the typical um, trajectory for, for exploring your identity and your sexuality. So I think, a lot of queer people end up having these sort of domino effects in their lives and they don't realize why. And it's like, well, you got to go back and realize like you kept, kept who you were a secret for years. Yeah. You were trying to pretend putting on a mask to, to blend in or to be, you know, for your parents or your family to love you or your friends or your school to accept you. And there's a lot of weight that comes with that. And do you think that was compounded by then entering the public eye in that sort of arena of everyone discussing your sexuality without your permission? It was just kind of a given that, well, let's just talk about Adam as if, you know, we're allowed to do that without any consent and (laughs) for that to take shape without your control. That's just then a snowball that is running away from you and there's nothing you can do about it. And that's a hugely uncomfortable situation yeah, to find weird. yourself Yeah, it's super weird. I mean, I think I'm, I'm, I am really grateful that when I decided to go on Idol and I became part of the public eye, I was a little older. I was 28, I think, when I got off of American Idol. So I'm thankful because I had, you know, my 20s anonymously. You know, I wasn't a celebrity or anything. I had that time to explore and decide who I was and... and um, 
I had made a lot of peace with some of those demons that I had had as a teenager, some of that discomfort. I was actually in a really good place when I entered that show, like kind of emotionally, spiritually. I, I had kind of figured out a way to, to recognize that fear was something that had been holding me back and that I needed to put it over here. And I was in a good, I was in a really good space creatively and personally. And I don't know if I would have had the experience on the show at that time had I not been in that frame of mind. Right. Because I don't think I was ready earlier than that. Well, I don't think anyone can cope with that very well. Yeah. Knowing what those shows are like, and I've worked on them back in the day, the the velocity and the pressure yeah. and the hours that you're working and on screen and all of a sudden you're incredibly famous. That's an insane being, thing to cope yeah, with. It's being dropped into the deep end really quickly. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think I think that that idea of People, you know, and social media was sort of bubbling up at the time. Twitter was just starting. Um, but, you know, you definitely had, like, YouTube and you had people in the comment sections um, on blogs and such. And, you know, of course, as a performer, you want the audience to like you. That's sort of part of what we do. And so it's it's very difficult to resist reading all that stuff. Yep. Um, and so I remember... Sort of midway through the competition, I was starting to look at what people were saying, and that was, it, it was incredibly, it, it would throw you. Yeah. You know, you could get caught up in one comment. Um, and this is stuff we all talk about. You know, everyone knows this has been on people's lips now for the last decade, talking about bullying. And, and I think it was my first time, you know, sort of confronting it and having to sort of figure out how to let it roll off my back, because it is not easy. And can you do that? Because I, Definitely gone. <laughs> I've gotten a lot better at it. I mean, yeah. of course, I still find, you know, if I read something and it can catch me off guard. I try not to read too much, to be yeah. honest, because it's just, you can't please everybody. And I think the sooner you realize that, mm -hmm. the sort of easier you are on yourself. Mm. Um, How do you think that's, I mean, I was talking to my husband about this this weekend because I was sort of questioning some of my own behavior and my own anxiety around certain situations mm. and knowing that a lot of it is sat, is rooted in that kind of new social media world of yeah. people commenting on everything and but I take it into my real life more than my work life and I think sometimes I turn up to something with like very old friends or family and I'm so worried about them judging me mm. and, and I was sort of questioning that why am I so worried if, one of my best friends in the world that's known me since I was five, it, or I'm, I'm actually assuming she's judging me. She's not judging me. But I think I'm that, always yeah. second-guessing what yeah. people are thinking or going to say, or I'm looking for the worst possible outcome because I've seen it in yeah. print. And I, at the age of 41, I'm still going, why am I, why am I still troubled by this? Why, why is that still... A block for me. It's really well. Don't you tricky. think some of it? I mean, what you do, you're a public figure. So so much of your, it's your career yeah. of, of of having to connect with a, with with a public or an audience. So I think that amplifies it for sure. Mm. I mean, I, I can relate to that. I think, yeah. you know, it, the people pleasing thing that that, that gets talked about. Mm. You know, how to not be a people pleaser. I've read a book. I've definitely read one of those <laughs> books. You know, people please are no more. Yeah. But but it's built into being an entertainer. Yeah. That is, in theory, in essence, that's what we're doing. We're trying to make people happy or affect some sort of emotional reaction. So. But is there like an Adam that's the performer than an Adam who's at home with his friends that's slightly different? Because I think I'm still trying to work out how I present myself in these different places. And I would like there just to be one where I, I just turn up as me. I think... 
I'm closer to that than I've ever been. Ooh. I think as I get older, I'm more and more comfortable in my own skin for sure. Um, and I think, especially during the pandemic, I think that, and I think a lot of people relate to this, my perspective shifted a little bit in a good way. I think, I think I became clearer on sort of what my priorities were personally and how to sort of better balance that in my own mind, you know? And I think it's, it's, it's not easy and, you know, I don't have it all sorted out for sure, but I think I realized, okay, things like my career, things that I've been putting a lot of focus into for a really long time, that's still incredibly important to me. But I realized more than ever, I was like, but I have to have a balance. I have to be able to have other things that make me happy. Because, you know, something like a career um, is something you're not fully in control of. You know, things can happen where you have success and you feel really great. And then maybe something doesn't work out. And if you're not careful, if you're, if you're putting too much of your own identity and worth in your career and you can't really control it, when those mishaps happen or the, you know, when things aren't quite exactly what you want, you can't let that tear you apart. No. I mean, that's just not, you've got to figure out a way to, um, function. Yeah. You know? I think for all of us, like looking how much you're putting your happiness in an outcome is hugely beneficial yeah. because we've got to just find that in a cliche way, like get that happiness that's just there or cultivate it through just gratitude or whatever yeah. rather than it being if this goes well then I can feel okay yeah you're always going to end up falling over yeah. when that happens so looking at this accumulative anxiety that you've you know obviously felt from a young age maybe when you first started working out your sexuality or, or how you felt mm-hmm. about who you were as a teenager how has that manifested over the years what is anxiety to you how does it show up in your yeah, life yeah so I mean I think that 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 as a teenager obviously being queer and into the closet that, you know, there was all of that. Also like that, that definitely was connected to like body image issues. You know, when you're figuring out your sexual identity, so much of that is like, what, what is this vessel that I'm in? How do I compare? You start doing that. You're comparing yourself to everybody. And I think I, I can definitely say that when I was a kid, like I was, I was like heftier. I was kind of a husky kid. And I think that sort of did a number on me because I saw all these people running around school that were like fit and had high metabolisms. And I was like, ah, because um, you compare. That's what yeah. we do. We all do it. Um, and I think that body shame stuff stuck with me for a little while into my 20s. And I remember being about 23, 24, and I kind of slimmed down a bit. I, you know, part of it was just like I wasn't eating as much. And I don't know. I, I, don't, I think diet pills were involved at one point in my early 20s. So it's like, it's not necessarily that I did it the, the, the most natural, beautiful way, but I remember about 24, it was the first time I got actually felt attractive when I looked in the mirror. And that took a really long time to feel that way. And that was, that's like an example of being sort of a late bloomer and coming to this moment of self-acceptance and self-love kind of late in the game, mm. you know? I, I, I think, I mean, I'm still... Oh, we I'm all still did. going I mean, for that. Do you know what I mean? I well, I mean, I, I, it's, I, I didn't stay there. <laughs> <laughs> it's I, an undulating. I definitely went yeah, yeah, all yeah. over the place around it, but that was the first time I actually like had that moment. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which also to the outsider is wild because you have like one of the most exceptional faces ever. Oh, like, thanks. Me and my husband yesterday again, we, what we're talking about, you're like, oh my God, he's so unbelievably handsome. Aww. You're watching the Queen documentary, like, look at his face. <laughs> but it's, you've got to feel it yourself. You've got to... 
you've got to f- feel it and accept, yeah. you know, who you well, are. And, and you know how it is. Like, we zero in on our flaws more than yeah, anybody yeah, else. Course. You know, yeah. and I remember as a teenager, I had, like, the worst skin. I, my skin was so bad that every time I just, I couldn't look in the mirror. I, like, I was so grossed out by the way mm. I, I looked. And I think that's kind of what led me into, like, playing dress up and makeup and hair is that it was a way that I could feel, like, like handsome and beautiful it was a way I could like control how I felt when I looked in the mirror mm. and how I hoped other people would look at me yeah so it's interesting because it's like it's also a form of expression and and freedom and liberation and all that and that is a big part of it too but it was also just like a way for me to feel good and then also so when you step into that public forum and you're on American Idol but then afterwards releasing your own music and you've got huge stadium you know stadiums filled with people and you've got that validation of other people going yeah we like you we see you how did that affect you did that lessen the anxiety make it worse I think looking back on it I think it amplified it for me because the pressure mounts you know and it's you know when you're living a regular life and you're not you know you don't factor in being a public figure you have your own set of stresses and anxieties 100% now obviously becoming a celebrity or having some success there are a lot of perks that come with that no doubt there were things that I didn't have to worry about all of a sudden, you know, like I was making a little more money than I used to make when I was a starving artist, you know, in my 20s. So financially, maybe I wasn't as stressed out. But the, you know, it's like a trade-off is that you do, there is a sacrifice, I think, in the business where, okay, I have this, I have success, that's awesome. But all of a sudden, there's this whole other set of, of anxieties that come up. The expectation that you know, the public starts to have about you, that puts a lot on your plate. Um, And I think the thing that kind of stressed me out a lot in the first few years was that I thought, is this going to be like taken away from me any moment? It was this like anxiety that like the the rug was going to be pulled out from under me before I realized it. And then I was just going to be humiliated. Mm. That was sort of this fear that I had. I had dreams that were related to that. And I think that was something I had to sort of get clear on is like you know what you can't control everything no you've got to you've got to find a way to surrender a little bit to the world and just make sure that no matter what happens you find a way to sort of cope and and get on with the next the next chapter I think the press really like to feed off that insecurity that most of us have in this strange industry whether Mm -hmm. it's your side of it or mine where they can have the power to do that Mm -hmm. they can write what they want I've certainly been on the receiving end of that when you think that's not my story that's not me what you can't say that that's ridiculous that people are going to read stuff that isn't true or they've got their own angle of something that's unfolded and they've amplified it or whatever and I think they like that insecurity and that we then are more scared that it could be the end more than ever it can be taken away so quickly if you make one wrong step or say one wrong thing that floors me like that for me is that stopped me doing jobs like I, I still don't do live radio and I did it for years and years and years every day I was so complacent about it I won't do it anymore because I don't, I can't put myself on that. That's just like treacherous ice that I don't want to be walking yeah, on. Yeah, I don't blame I, you. I can't it's do scary. it. It's scary. It's horrible. And, and it's I, think, horrible. I think the other thing that I've noticed too is that I think in talking about like sort of one's mental health and sort of outlook, I think part of what makes this so scary is that the public right now probably, this is amplified probably because of social media, 
people's egos are very fragile right now. And I feel like when there's that, what's that called? A schadenfreude? When like you see somebody successful yeah. fail and you get sort of some odd sick pleasure Kick. out of it. Yeah. I think, I mean, that's obviously what the media kind of are feeding on. They want to figure out a way to sort of read into everyone's, you know, collective issues and find one scapegoat to make everybody feel better. Yeah. And I, I get it, it's but it's so, so dark. It's up. so fucked up. It's so dark. And it's, and it's like, you know, I think there's this idea that you, he- you see it sometimes printed or you hear it in a conversation that, uh, you know, people in the public sometimes look at someone in the public eye and they're like, well, you asked for this. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, what, what, what was asked for? You know, yes. When I entered this business, I knew that I was going to be putting a certain amount of myself out there. Yes, you're right. But ask for what, how much of it? What what exactly are you talking about? All I asked for was I want the chance to sing or entertain people. I would like to do that as a career. It doesn't in anybody's head mean oh actually, I want to be torn apart. Yeah. By the angry mob. Mm. I don't think anybody signs up for no, that. No. No. I mean, no, it's too. there is a sacrifice to be made, and you know you get a certain amount of success and notoriety, and that is exciting, and it can lead to success, one hundred percent. But it doesn't always. It doesn't always lead to what you thought it was going to lead to. No. And has that ever stopped you doing what you want to do? It's made me... I think it's made me doubtful or second guess... Well, more than second. Like quadruple guess things, you know? I think that's part of the anxiety thing. Is that it never stopped me. But it definitely complicated things a lot for me. It made me into my own worst enemy. um, Or worst critic. You know know what the idea of like when you're in your way? That's what I found... This is probably about like three or four years into my career. I was just very much like in my own way, not sure what it was that I wanted to make or who I wanted to be exactly in the industry because I just couldn't get a handle on me. I think I was looking outside so much for all this approval and validation and like, do you like me? Is this good? Am I, am I cool? You know, mm. and, and, and the music industry is notorious for that. I mean, the music industry is kind of kind of heartless that way is yeah. that it's, it's very fickle like one minute you're something hot next minute you're done mm. you know so I, I think that was always part of that fear of like the rug being pulled out from under me and I think it kind of came to a head for me at about you know I had been dealing with stress and stuff like that and I started noticing when I was on tour on stage and I'd be like, okay, this is my safe space. Like, the stage is what I know. A microphone in my hand, I'm going to sing. This is like, this is me. This is what I know the best. And I started getting really in my head during performances and sort of sort of being really hard on myself. But what was happening was, instead of actually being that clear, like, I was projecting that anxiety or that, that intensity, that fear, onto an inanimate object which was the sound mix. Right. So that was my, my way of displacing, I mean, this is all like therapy talk, but I was displacing actually looking in the mirror at myself yep. and putting it on something that I could blame and control and put it on something that was, that was outside of me. I get it. It was really, it, and I didn't realize it for years. It was very, um, but it's kind of textbook. Like I found now in, in doing some therapy and stuff that, this is common in many cases for people that aren't entertainers too. You, you find something outside of you because mm. you don't want to deal with 
looking, yeah. looking in the mirror. And that's self-protective. We all yeah. do things like that. Yeah, mine is sleep. Like, I just go, oh, it's, I can't sleep, and it's because I can't sleep, and everything is around sleep. But it's completely unrelated to and you my become actual obsessive. issues. I'm yeah. obsessed. I'm obsessive. obsessed. Yeah. And it ruins so many yeah. bits of my life because yeah. it's become this, like, my nemesis, this thing. It's yeah. so... And like you say, it's textbook, that it's an unrelated object or a thing or an issue that you plow everything into. Yeah. So how was that, having your safe space, which is yours, that is where you express, that is where you are at your absolute best, you're so comfortable, you're conducting a crowd. How is it having that kind of messed with or taken away, I'm imagining at points you felt like, I don't want to do this? Yeah, I mean that's what and that's what I started feeling like. I started feeling like this isn't fun. I'm not enjoying this because I'm I'm completely stressed out about the the technical side of it, and it's pulling me out of the moment. And I'm not I'm not having fun, and that to me is like so much of the magic of performing is this like feeling that you get where it's it's very liberating, and you feel you can feel sort of out of body or sort of so connected to the audience that. I don't know if there's a certain amount of magic that happens yeah, in, in that moment, you know? And this was like getting in the way of that connection to myself, to the spirit of music, to the audience. It was like right in the way. And and also, it, this is, you know, sound, amplification, microphones. This is all part of the job. So that's not really something that I could have like skip mm-hmm. in the process. It's, it's part of it. So, Which is probably why you chose it yeah, subconsciously. Probably. A challenge. So, you know, never, yeah. you can never win. Um, <laughs> but what I realized, I, 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 I started recognizing this. I started talking to somebody and then I went on medication for anxiety. I thought, because I've done, done a lot of research for like on it and read about it, talked to some friends who were on it. And I was like, I wonder if that would help me. And so I, I took a... Um, I, my doctor prescribed a SSRI, which is uh, Lexapro. It's the one that I was on. And this is maybe seven years ago, maybe. And when you first go on it, you're like really tired and you feel really weird. And it's a strange adjustment. And then once I leveled out, I realized, first of all, I was in such a good mood all the time. I was like really relaxed. And when I started going on stage... I wasn't, I, this loop in my head, like it was much quieter. Wow. I wasn't freaking out about how I sounded or the the, the, the mix of the ears or, the, the, you know, all these external things that were, you know, not the point of what I was supposed to be doing on stage, quieted way down. And it, and it, it's like I had, to see, I had to feel that adjustment, that shift in order to really recognize what it was that was going on. And I realized, I'm like, yeah, this was, this was a form of anxiety that I was unwilling to call anxiety for so many years. But clearly with an anxiety medication, I'm feeling much freer from that right now. Mm. I'm feeling way more comfortable and relaxed. I'm getting to enjoy it again. It's fun. And it was a big wake-up call for me. It made me realize it. And, and I definitely think with medication, it's like some people stay on it forever and that works for them. Sometimes it's like a period of time. So I stayed on that medication for about eight months and then weaned off of it. I was like, okay, that was good. I needed that to like recalibrate. Yeah. Yeah. And it taught me a lot. It taught me a lot. And at that point I thought, okay, with, with my doctor's um, help, I was like, you know what, let's, let's try and see now being off the medication, if I can take what I just learned kind of through sense memory 
and realize it and, 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 and deal with it. And it did help a lot because it, it made it very clear what it was. Mm, giving it a name yeah. and going, okay, that's the thing and I can't pretend it's not there anymore. Right. And, and I know what it feels like yeah. now. I can isolate the feeling in my mm. head. So that was good. And that, and that helped me a lot. So that, that, you know, that eight months of being slightly medicated, it wasn't even that much, but it was good. It really helped me kind of separate the irrational anxiety from reality. Yeah, I did the same with, I was on antidepressants for about six months. And I yeah. did it to sort of get my head above the clouds yeah. and then go, okay, I can see now. Because you can't see when you're in it. You, you do, it's really hard you can't to be see objective. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com So how have you managed your anxiety more recently? How, how's that been? Well, and so for, for a while there, it was, you know, this was really helpful, but it started to kind of creep up again a little bit. It started to, like, I was still getting kind of hard on myself in situations. It wasn't as bad as it, had, it used to be because I understood more now. And I was, I, I think the other thing about it is I was letting a little more go. I wasn't being as hard on myself. I was like, it's fine. And I, I think the other thing too is with work, I would go and start to watch things back that I felt in the moment, oh God, that was terrible. It was a mess. I, 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 I you know, such a perfectionist. I, I, I screwed up this part and this part and then this wasn't good and I was really uncomfortable and then I would watch back the, the performance and be like, well, it sounds great. What? I'm like this with podcasts. Why was I so in yes. my head? Why yeah. do we do this to us? I walk I away and go, oh, I didn't ask this. I should have said that. I listen back and go, that's absolutely fine. Yeah. Why do we do this to ourselves? It's not wanting to like, it's getting addicted to the feeling of, of, of negativity, I think. Yeah, it's like a loop. It's a loop. You get you get stuck in it and it's like when it's not there, you think, well then what what is it that I'm like fighting against? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like there's something there in us that wants to like yes. push against something. Yeah, you know? yeah. So I think yeah, I think I th- it was fine for a while and then things got stressful again and you know, just life became busier and uh, you know, the, the, the combination of things going on in the personal life and being very busy, very, very busy, jet lag, traveling a lot. All of a sudden, I just like hit a wall. This was, I think this was about five years ago. I, it was very strange because it started, this was like very TMI, but I had like a stomach infection that happened like randomly. Um, and, you know, your stomach, like spiritually, like you hold a lot of anxiety and tension mm. in your stomach, right? Like most people, it's either your stomach or your, like your neck that yeah. like go, right? So I started, fe- I was just feeling pretty lousy because of this stomach infection, but I was having to run around and work and all this stuff. And I started getting like really dizzy, like these spells where they would, it would just like, all of a sudden I would feel like I was going to pass out. And it was such a puzzle to try to figure out because I, I saw a couple different doctors. No one could really pinpoint what was wrong. The stomach infection was gone. I had taken medicine to like to, to, to kill whatever bug that I had. And, you know, I was taking vitamins and this and that and the other thing. And then, you know, I, I tried to change up my diet really drastically to see if that helped. That was still not working. It was just a very weird few months where I just couldn't. I, it was like alarms were going off physically. And I was, you know, I was thinking to myself, I'm like, 
is it something, is, is this anxiety? Is this like something emotional that I'm going through? And it was weird because there were triggers to add to that, but it was also like a very physical situation. And I, I just didn't understand it. I didn't understand it at all. And it was scary because these like little spells would come over me out of nowhere for no reason. And I felt like I was going to pass out. I did like a t I was doing a TV show here in London and I was talking and like all of a sudden they flashed. They, there was like a, a, there was like a little like video package they were showing and it was of like a cancer patient or something kind of sad. And I just like, I like almost like fainted. Is this panic attacks? Yeah, essentially. Mm. Yeah. I didn't really know what that, I didn't really know what a panic attack was. I had never really had this before. This is the first time this has happened. And so I was just like, what is, what is this? Cause every time I had heard about a panic attack or knew people that had gotten them, it was like more of a hyperventilating thing. Yeah. Me was just like, I'm going to I'm going to faint. That's my, that's my thing. Really? Yeah. Yeah. That, and exactly the same. Like, well, first of all, my heart would race. So I thought I'm having a heart attack. So I have yeah. my heart checked, but the fainting thing, I was like, I don't understand. No. What, and I still don't, because I can still get them. Not as frequently, but I can still get that feeling of, oh, I'm going. I'm going. And I, and I never have fainted. So I know, like, if I look oh, at so the data... Never, it's never happened. I've never fainted. Mm. Have you Have you fainted then? Yeah, right. but it's usually, like, medical. Like, if I get my, like, blood drawn or something. Yeah. It's more of a... Well, I've come to learn a lot about it, because I'm kind of a geek. If I don't understand something, if the more I know, the better I feel. Yes. So I get kind of, I get sort of, I have a bit of like health neuroses, like that's what was going on with all this because it was so confusing and because it was triggered by sort of a medical thing. Oh my God, the, I went into this deep, you know, black hole of WebMD and... Yeah, I love <laughs> it's it. so insane. And and I, I, I did learn a lot, but you know, it's hard on the internet because you're getting like sort of alarmist ideas of yeah. things and it's not, you know, it's not a doctor, it's a, you know, a web browser. So I went to like one doctor who was just like, you just need to calm down. You're, you're really, you just need to like figure out a way to like self-care. I don't think that's very helpful, is it? Well, it wasn't a way because he was like, you're just, you're, you're making this worse. You're freaking yourself out. So your nervous out. system is, is on edge. on fire. Yeah. yeah. Okay. He's like, we've got to figure out a way to like, let you kind of relax. And so I remember I had a lot of stuff on like for work and I just had to like go, you know what? I need to take a week and recalibrate. It was three weeks. <laughs> Throw that in there for management. It was three weeks. Yeah. So and and just to contextualise that, that's not easy in your job because no. you've got gigs and you've got people turning up to the gigs yeah. and you've got TV shows where you are the main performer. Yeah. Like it's a logistical nightmare. Yeah. And for you, that's a hell of a lot of pressure and stress to then say, I'm not doing it. I have to prioritise myself, which is very hard. It is really hard. And it was what what I found weird about it is that I still couldn't really quite understand what it was that I was going through. So it was hard to sort of like go, well, this is why. Um, and and I, I think the, what, I, what I've learned since then was that um, it's the vasovagal nerve is what they call it, which is what triggers a fight or flight response inside the body. And some people have the tendency for the vasovagal nerve to hit the flight part. And that's like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna check out. Yeah. I'm gonna pass out. And it's, and it is a physical reaction. It is not something that is very easy to sort of mentally control. Yeah, I don't feel I've got any body. control yeah, over it. It's in your, it's something that like, I mean, that's why they say these things can be chemical for people. It's something that it's like, it's just the way you're wired. It's just the way your body is is reacting to something. And some of it, obviously, 
is in your head. Some of it. Some of it is your brain sending the wrong signal to that part of the body. It's like, yeah. it's very complicated. But what I figured out was that I'd been going through that for about three or four weeks. And then I kind of went back to work and I was traveling and I, it was still kind of coming up. I still felt really off. I was like, something is wrong. And I went to the doctor when I got back home after doing some shows on the East Coast of the States. I went back to LA and I was still getting this dizzy thing. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to... Uh, and it was like a headache, neck thing. It was just everywhere. So I thought, maybe I have like a, a sinus infection that's like bad or something. And maybe that's making me dizzy and it's an infection so I feel kind of off. That would explain a lot. And I have, I have a history of... That would be so much easier yeah. if it was a sinus infection. Yeah, and Please I was like, I have a, a history infection. of this. Like these sinus infections, I'm like, it's probably that. You know, so I went to my ear, nose, throat doctor. Got to his office. I'm like, oh, I feel lousy and da da and I almost passed out, like, as I was telling him about it. And he was like, whoa. And he had to lay me down. I, was, I didn't actually, like, faint, like, blackout, but I got really woozy mm-hmm. and lightheaded and pale. And he laid me down and then gave me some juice. They thought it was, like, blood sugar. Sat me back up. I got dizzy again. And so up and down, up and down, which is, I forget the word for it, but if your heart rate is fluctuating that much, it's not safe. It's not good yeah. for your body. So they called the paramedics. They came in. They slapped EKGs on me. They wheeled me out. I'm like on Rodeo Drive in a, on a gurney. Wow. Getting wheeled into an ambulance going, what is going on? I mean, one of the, one of the paramedics was very handsome, so that really that did help. <laughs> that, that really helped. gave me a little bit of a... I was like, hmm, thanks for taking care of me. <laughs> and then, of course, I'm in the ambulance, and the hospital that's like right around the corner, that's a, a nice hospital in, in L.A. called Cedars-Sinai. It's like yeah. great doctors there. They're fully booked. Oh, what? So I couldn't get in there, so they're driving me to a much further away hospital. It's not quite as, quite as nice. And I get in there, and, and they do a bunch of blood work and urine and all these tests on me and I'm still freaked out because I'm like am I like do I have like something is it like really bad is this like a something serious and the doctor comes back to me and goes your magnesium levels are so low like dangerous low and I was like oh so that's that's kind of what dehyd- it's part of dehydration I mean that's like when you're dehydrated that's one thing you have to put back into your body yeah and I did some, you know, I, after that day, they put me on an IV, gave me a bunch of magnesium. I felt a lot better. I had to stay overnight. And I definitely felt, like, leveled when I got out of there. And I, I started doing my research and talking to another doctor. And they were like, you know, it's interesting because your magnesium levels can get shot because of dehydration. But also stress and lack of sleep all of a sudden can, like, attack that part of your system. Mm. Like cortisol, which is like a stress hormone, eats up magnesium. So I had been really stressed, so that made sense. So it was just like a it was like a perfect storm of all of these things going on. Um, I had a relationship that was sort of on its way out. That was definitely something that was like adding to like a feeling of uh, untetheredness, yeah. you know? It was it was really tricky. It was a tricky time and I got out of the hospital and I was like, "Okay, I'm going to talk. I need to go back on medication. I feel it." I think that's going to help. And so I did. And it like within like three days, my stomach relaxed. I, wow. Like, yeah. I mean, it was like almost instant. Overnight. So you've got, you know, obviously there's this sort of physical concoction of maybe lack of sleep and, and stress and the magnesium, but there's this sort of cognitive bit that's worrying yes. as well. Yes. And you've got an exceptional life with very high pressure, you know, even joining Queen. I mean, that's an insane thing to have done with... You know, you talk about it in the documentary. You've got the pressure of people expecting to see Freddie Mercury Mm. and you have to be you and work out how you fit into that dynamic and how you help 
Brian and Roger sort of feel that excitement when they're on tour again. Huge, insurmountable pressure. Yeah. And then the feedback of that as well. Have you learned, I guess, or used tools now to, to deal with that pressure so yeah. you're not bombarded by that sort of... The, like you say, the fight against all yeah. of that stuff. Well, and I think the thing is, is that part of all of this of being your own worst enemy or being in your own way, there's also this um, this feeling of like very high standard. Like yeah. I have to deliver like, yeah. at this level or else I'm failing. And I think with the Queen thing, you're right. I mean, because it was such a, the expectations so high um, and the comparisons there. And, I, you know, we've been working together for 10 years, so it's definitely gone through its own journey. But in the beginning, it was like I had to really overcompensate. I was up there going, I deserve to be here and let me show you. And I worked really hard. And I think I still work really hard on stage. But one of the things that's difficult is the is you're on tour and you want to deliver at the same level every night. And if some night you're feeling a little bit off or down or not as much energy, you start beating yourself up. you know. And that's a big part of it. I think, I think early on with the queen stuff and with touring on my own with all this anxiety that I was dealing with. The other thing I was using to deal with it probably incorrectly was alcohol. Mm. And I was drinking too much. I was just drinking too much. I have friends that are sober. I have, you know, I, I'm familiar with the program. I'd like talk to people about it. It never got to the point where I felt like I was out of control. So were you drinking before gigs, after gigs, during gigs? During. Right. Yeah, during. And, it, you know, I think... On one hand, I can rationalize, like, you know, yeah, it's a little rock and roll to have a couple cocktails and do a rock show. People have done it before. Yeah. it's And it, it does add a vibe, you know? Yeah. But I do think that there's, it's just a, a fine line of, well, how much is too much? You know, where you, where you become so used to doing it intoxicated, then like what, then you, you feel like you need it in order to do a good job. Yeah. That's when it starts to get a little unhealthy, I think. Yeah. And so I think I, I've i definitely been around the block in sort of recognizing, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm leaning on this in a way that's not healthy, that's not necessary. And, you know, when I was younger, my body could keep up with it. But then I think over the years, you like, you know, as everybody knows, oh. your body can't deal with as much alcohol. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's something that I had to sort of get really honest with myself about mm. um, and recognize that it was becoming habitual and a bit of a crutch. Mm. And then so how, now when you're in that setting and you've got a huge stadium and you're with Queen, where does that self-worth come from? Like, I do belong. I you know, because we all know that. We watch yeah. and go, holy shit, you're amazing. But for you, it's a different thing. You've got these high standards, mm-hmm. perfectionism tendency. Where does that come from, that feeling of, I should be here and I'm not going to let any doubt or fear creep in? I think that I think that being on on medication allowed me to recognize also the, the habit with alcohol. So that yeah. definitely allowed me to sort of keep that in better check. And I started saying to myself, you know what? Tonight, I'm not going to have anything to drink. Mm. And really challenging myself to be like, you don't need it. And prove it to yourself. Prove to yourself that you don't need it. So I'll go like shows now. Where I, won't, I won't have anything to drink. And how know? does that feel then? To stand on that stage totally sober. And you have to, it's confronting. It's good. It's really it's good. It, that's been like a healthy experiment. Yeah. Is that it's been like proving to yourself you don't need that to do a good job. Mm. At all. No. So I definitely, that was a real big help in kind of recognizing the, the dependency in that, in that regard. And, and, and that allowed me, you know, like figuring that out and getting clarity on that allowed me to go, okay, so now like if I want to have one 
you know, one beverage before going on stage. Now I feel like I'm doing it because I'd like to. Yes. And I don't need it. And I don't, this isn't something that is going to make or break the performance. And in fact, as I get older, it's like, I, you know, alcohol can end up making you tired. You know what I mean? Ooh. And so like, as I've gotten older, I'm like, maybe it's the other way around. Maybe like doing this show, you know, very clear and yeah. with water is going to give me the best show. <laughs> yes, you, know, you know what I mean? So what happens now, if, I don't know if you still deal with this, but if you're on stage and you have that, I'm checking out, I'm going to faint feeling, what do you do? I mean, I've had it on live telly, I've had it on live radio and it is horrific. You just think this is, on live telly, it's mortifying. If that actually happened and I fainted, I don't know what I would do. Mm-hmm. And I somehow, I don't even know, I'm not even using tools I just keep going until I get to a point where I'm not on air and I'm like, thank God that's over. Yeah. And I tend to not put myself in that scenario anymore because I feel very safe doing something like this Yeah. I'm writing. But in that setting, I'm not quite there yet where I can go back there. And I don't, I'm not in any rush. I can't be bothered right now to push myself. Mm-hmm. But if you're in a live setting, what do you do? How do you combat that? It hasn't really come up for me in a while. Oh, thank um, God. I mean, I'm still on medication, so yeah, that, that's good. probably helpful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I think I haven't dealt with it, luckily. I haven't had any dizzy spells since that whole thing happened years ago. But it's, you know, it definitely, I'm still aware of my mental health. It's still something that now I'm like, okay, it it definitely like opened my eyes to what anxiety is and where it might come from. And I've done some therapy and I do a lot of reading and talking about stuff like this and watching documentaries. And so I, I try to keep aware and, and I'm always trying to explore this journey and be aware of it and be educating myself connecting with people on it. I think one of the things I realized about all of it is that part of the issue is staying in your own head is isolating. It's yeah. it's if you're isolating yourself, you're not doing yourself any favors for this this issue. So the more it, like Britain get talking says, the more I connect about it and 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 talk with other people about how they feel, all of a sudden I feel a lot better. Yeah. Um, it gets gets you out of your own way a little bit. And as soon as someone else else says, I get, I get it. Or even if they haven't experienced it, like, I I hear you. That is such a relief. Mm -hmm. Like, you're not drowning in it and internalizing it all. It's, it's, it's so, so important. And and with, and like I said, like with the pandemic, I think a lot of people dealt with a lot of things, you know, and that really like, it was kind of the great equalizer because no matter what, what you were doing in your life, no matter what your career is, no matter, you know, where you live or your family situation, everyone was dealing with the stress of this unseen virus and everyone was feeling it no matter who you were. So I think, I think in some weird indirect way, I think that has connected us a bit, all of us. Um, We all understood what it was. I do think coming out of that period, I think we all have been changed. And I think, there's been, there's obviously some bad things that have come from it, but I think for a lot of people I've talked to, it allowed all of us to sort of get back down to sort of basics with ourselves mm. a bit. Um, and I, I'm really grateful for that. Yeah, I it agree. Really, it really helped. And how um, how much importance do you put on, I mean, it's, I always sort of cringe when I say this out loud, but self-care is obviously so important it is and and I think there is still it's probably a very British thing to be like oh, I don't have time for self-care or it's very self-indulgent and I was thinking a lot about this last week and did something on Instagram about it that it's the least selfish thing you can do 
to look after yourself because obviously that you know is imbibed by other people and by osmosis affects everybody around you yeah. and you can be more of service to others and all of that good stuff what does that look like to you is it is it time out so yeah sometimes i just need to recharge yeah like, just even of a day yeah and just chill and not have not answer the phone and not have anybody to answer to just to put a pause on 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 your brain thinking about yeah. work mm. or whatever it is that's you know that's that's intense it's just vegging out a little bit. That that really helps me. Yeah, getting you that know, things like, like taking a bath. Um, that's great. I mean, we all I love, love, I mean, I love a bath too. <laughs> Nothing bath. better than a bath. Nothing better than a bath. I could have a bath right now. Like I yeah, know it's I Monday morning, yeah. but I could so have a bath. I'm quite tired today. It's very I could really have a bath. Yeah. And I, I always think this when I'm sat with people that have an extreme talent like you do. When you're on a stage, or even like you've got your new album coming out, when you're belting out a song and you're in it and you're lost and you don't have any of those thoughts of, what are these people thinking? Mm. Am I being my best? What does that feel like to have that voice come out of your mouth? <laughs> it's, it's interesting because sometimes some performances, the magic is in the out-of-bodiness of it. Mm. Um, and sort of where you don't, you, you, you finish the song and you're kind of like, what just happened? Mm. And there's also, there's a lot of amazing moments that come out of a performance like that. And I think for many years, that's sort of how I functioned, which I think was part of why it was so exciting, but also why it was so stressful is because I felt a bit out of control. Mm. And it was part of it. I was like, just throw yourself at it and see what happens. And it was interesting. I think one of the things that I've realized as I've gotten older is, and, and especially in this, the self-medicating that I was doing too much of before, I think one of the things that I find interesting now is it's actually really nice to be in full control of it and not be out of body and to be calmly driving the, the quote unquote car to the end of the, the song. And there's some peace that comes with that as well. And I think it's a, it's an experience thing. It's a confidence thing. It's, it's having been around the block and kind of knowing yourself. I mean, I did a, a performance the other day on TV and it was, you know, I didn't, I wasn't out of body. I wasn't, I wasn't like, I didn't have all this crazy extraneous adrenaline. I was very grounded and I felt very calm and I wasn't nervous and I just did the song and A plus B equals C. Let me do this. This is the message of the song. This is the note. This is how I want people to feel. And I just felt very calm about it. And that was nice as well. How lovely. But that's a, a mature, maybe it's maturity. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think that's what, it's a weird balance, isn't it? Of you want to feel comfortable and relaxed, but still in control. Yeah. And it's something I definitely strive for. And I think, yeah, with age, have have got to the point where the more you overthink something, it's usually, that feels like a burden. Whereas yeah. if you kind of just go with it, Calmly and confidently, if you can get to that place, that is the best feeling. It's it's like trusting oneself. Yeah, trusting yourself. And that yourself. isn't easy to find. And I don't. And it's not perfect for me. I'm not saying all of a sudden I trust everything I do. I'm still a work in progress for sure. I think we all are. But feeling more confident in that idea, in the in the ability to trust yourself, I think mm. is it's nice. And it's something so that nice. you, it's something if, if if that's something that you are having an issue with. Try to find a way to, to, to get in better touch with yourself so that you can trust yourself. I think mm. it's a good feeling. It's a really yeah. good feeling. Who was it? There was someone that said to me recently, and I can't think who the hell it was, like a good way to start doing that is to say, I think it might have been Donna, my friend Donna, who's very wise and brilliant. And yeah. she was saying, 
just drink eight glasses of water a day or say that you're going to drink a glass of water every hour. And even after a day of that, you'll go, I'm someone that shows up for myself. I'm someone that does what I say I'm going to do. Mm. And I trust that if I say I'm going to do it, I do it. Yeah. And something like having a glass of water is quite a good, because it's obviously beneficial anyway, yeah, but you go, yeah. oh yeah, I did that. I, I did said that. I was going to. Yeah, and like, I, and set, it wasn't... Like, set like easy markers for yeah. yourself. That's a good, I like that advice. It is, because I think a lot of us don't know when we're in that place of, oh, I'm not trusting myself or I'm not showing up for myself. We're, we're really blind to it. Yeah. And then... And then it's, you know... Especially as happen. it's happening. It's Absolutely. Much, hindsight's twenty twenty. I always say, like, I always learn <laughs> yeah. the most about myself, like, two weeks later. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Shoot. <laughs> I wish I had kind of been more present in that moment. But that's... And that's part of it, too, of trusting yourself is being present. Mm. If, you're, if you are hyper-focused on the past or hyper-focused on what's to come, that's... What do they say? That's the definition of depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. But if you can figure out little exercises or ways to stay present and in the moment... I do think that you're not going to be dealing with as much of that. Yeah. And it's a discipline and it's not easy and it's never perfect. But, you know, I think in, in that trusting yourself mantra, it's, you also have to be kind to yourself and, and start saying to yourself, I'm doing my best. Yeah. And all you can do is your best. Mm. And if you're in the moment, that's probably the only way we're going to feel safe. Because I think anxiety a lot of the time certainly has been for me when I am projecting into the future and I don't feel safe. I don't feel safe about the sort of awful fantasy outcome that I've imagined. Mm-hmm. There is no safety. But if we're in the now, unless you are quite literally being chased by a lion, you're, <laughs> you're safe. Like, yeah. sat here now. Yeah. We're not in any threat exactly. or danger. We are safe. But if I think about what I've got to do for the rest of the day, that's where you start that's, you, to It's what they call it, future yourself. tripping. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, you can get carried away in that. Mm. You know? Oh, God, I do still now. It's I, I do weakness. think that there are, are people that become addicted yeah. to that, that level of stress and that sort of anticipation. And look, on some level, some of it can be good it can be a motivator it can be a driver 100 percent. i'm not saying you know unplug and be a lazy slob you know <laughs> i don't think that's for any, that's the best advice but i don't know i just i think it's really easy to get addicted to the like the the drama of it yeah and that's what you got to be careful of because mm-hmm. it, that can sustain itself for a while and then you'll hit a wall I mean, this is a whole other podcast that I, I could go off on, but then that's all patterning from your parents mm-hmm. and your childhood and mm-hmm. what you picked up. And this is what I'm certainly have been learning for years, not to put blame on anyone, certainly not my parents, but you know, it is that the lineage that you've, that your yeah. parents and your grandparents and how you react to the world around you. And if you get into those cycles, yeah. it's fascinating. It's never ending. Well, and it's also the people you, the people in your life, the people that you're in relationships with, whether, you know, it's your, your partner or, you know, your, your family or your best friends, it's the people you keep around you. Some of that energy is kind of contagious. Yeah. You know, and it, and it, it, it does become hard to sort of keep that, that through line and that like, you know, eye on the prize when you're being pulled one way or another. So mm. that's, I think that's, that's important too, is be aware of how other people affect that part of yourself. Cause maybe that might make it easier to figure out, you know? Yeah. Oh, it's because I'm, I'm catching on to this person's anxiety. Mm-hmm. You know, it can it, it is kind of contagious. And your relationships are usually a pretty good sign of where you're at yeah. in terms of if they're healthy or if they're not yeah. doing so well in all manner of work, relationship, friendship circles. It's, 
it's again, it's a good sort of indicator of, of where you're at. Yeah. And I think communication is definitely like they always, this is obvious, but it's, it is the key. Yeah. I think I've been in relationships in the past where, and I've always considered, oh, I'm an open book. I like to talk about everything, but I've been in relationships in the past where there's a lot of unsaid crap that mm. gets sort of swept under the rug and like that can manifest itself in really terrible ways, like down the road. Yeah. You know, it can, it can turn into other things. You know, and my my current relationship, it's a very verbal, like, let's, okay, if there's something wrong, what is it? Let's talk about yeah. it. Let's let the air out right away before it turns into some dumb, dumb thing that we could have prevented. So I think, I think that's, it's just like Britain gets talking, that's, it's, it's the same thing. Like, make sure you speak about stuff. Yeah. It really helps. It, it really, does. it like takes the steam out. It can, it can diffuse something before it becomes a problem. Talk. Make sure you talk to the people you love. I mean, there's no doubt that even, you know, what you've said today and what you've very generously shared today will connect with so many people and without a doubt and and alleviate people and bring relief and respite and all that good stuff. So thank you so much for for talking today and just have a really good rest at Christmas and a really lovely time. Have good baths this month. Oh, I will. (laughs) I don't have enough baths. That's the that's my favorite self care. It's the best. <laughs> Although I've been doing the thing where I get my iPad and then I watch like a show while I'm in the bath, and I'm like, is this self care? <laughs> I think it's self care. Is it still self care? Yeah. yeah. As long as the show's not too stressful. If you say it's self care, it's it's self care. Yeah, I get you're right. <laughs> so good. Oh, Adam! I cannot tell you how much Adam lit up the room that we were in. He has just got the most radiant smile and is utterly charismatic Adam thank you so much I so appreciate you being willing to talk about some of the more difficult stuff that you've been through Adam's single Ordinary World is out now and you can pre-order his album High Drama as well keep an eye out for Britain Get Singing that incredible 90 minute extravaganza on ITV over the festive period too I'll be back next week with another incredibly insightful guest. But in the meantime, thank you so much again to lovely Adam, to the producer Anushka Tate at Rethink Audio, and I hope all of you have the most gorgeous Christmas. I'm sending you all so much love and festive joy. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com